Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. When my son was about four years old, we lived in a little town in eastern Oregon called Boardman, Oregon, and uh, there was one place that you could buy a pizza in Boardman, Oregon. And uh, we would go down there once in a while on a Friday night and have a pizza, and they had a few video games. And uh, my son would stand on a chair at the, at the video games and push the buttons. And, you know, they're always kind of going, kind of trying to get you interested, and he thought he was playing. And I was happy as I could be. <laughs> One day, the grandfatherly owner of the restaurant came along and put a quarter in the video game or the pinball, whatever it was, and boy, it came to life, and he was playing. And that quarter changed his life forever. <laughs> and mine. <laughs> I believe that there are many families that do not realize there is an entirely better kind of family life than the one they are struggling through. Some of them believe things could be better, but they have no idea how to get out of the mess they are in and into a stable, joyful, productive state of family life. Well, I'm here to say today and for the next seven weeks that I believe God has the quarter to put into the game machine of your life. I'm here to say you can have an enjoyable, rewarding, meaningful marriage and family life in Christ. And as we begin this study, we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5 and understand the two kinds of family life that you have to choose between. Galatians 5.16 I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There are two kinds of family life that are described here, and the first one is the fleshly family life, or the fleshly life. What we're doing today in a very narrow application is talking about what does it mean for a Christian to walk in the Spirit or to live in the Spirit of God as opposed to what does it mean to live in the flesh or in the sinful life. 
we're applying that very directly to the family, but obviously it has a much broader application than that in your life. The fleshly family life, how is it described here? It's described, first of all, as a place where adultery happens. Now, the word adultery in this particular text may not actually belong. It may have been added by the copiers. But if you take the next three together and just put the word sexual immorality on them, then you understand what the very first thing is that God says is a work of our natural human self. Okay? Sometimes we get accused as fundamentalist preachers of preaching against sex more than other things. I'm here to tell you God comes down hard and often on the misuse of sexuality. And from what I've seen, sitting behind the desk and also out in the police car, I'm here to tell you if you play fast and loose with this area of your life, you will mess your life up all the way to one of the other things that we're going to talk about on this list. So what are the things that do belong on this list? The first one is fornication. The word in the Greek language is pornea. I wonder what English word comes from that. This is the broad word in the Greek language for any kind of sexual activity that is wrong. Anything. It is a broad word, but in this list it is characterized as separate from the other two words that we'll see afterwards. So we would call fornication any sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Period. Two men, two women, one man, one woman. Anything outside of marriage is wrong. If you want to know what the positive standard for sexuality is, it's Hebrews 13, 4. The marriage bed is undefiled. It's, it's joyful before God. It's a wonderful thing. Everything else he will judge. Uncleanness is the next word on this list. Any sexual sin other than intercourse. We know that there are many ways to have a sinful sexual activity. Lewdness is the next word on the list. We know what lewdness means in our, in our legal terms. It means uh, when you perhaps would walk out naked in public or something like that. God's talking about that and many other things. And it actually means the absence of restraint in the sexual sin. Just giving yourself over to it, heart, mind, and soul, and all of the things that go with it. Um, one of the great scourges on family life today is pornography on the internet. And if you clicked on one of those sites by accident and then you've gotten hooked on that, you need to get out of that. And we're ready to help you with that. One of the things that I want to stress in what we talk about today is don't ever be ashamed to come and say, I need some help. Because we're not going to look down our nose and say, oh, you poor, no good. We're going to say, thank God, you're here to get some help. We're excited for you. What's the next thing on the list? Idolatry. Do you have any idols you worship? Idolatry is worshiping anything but Jehovah. There's a lot of stuff to worship out there. People. <laughs> American idol. The TV show, you know, they, they make a person a star over a period of a few weeks and all of a sudden they're selling millions of records. Yeah, there's, there's some idol worship going on, but in, in the family, of course, many times it revolves around other kinds of things, worshiping something other than God. Sorcery. What's the word sorcery mean? Look at the Greek word, pharmakia. I wonder what English word comes from pharmakia. 
Yes, it's the word pharmacy. Why is that used and then translated sorcery? Because, as one author put it, drugs are used in all heathen religions. All heathen religions all around the world, drunkenness and drugs and all kinds of things. Satanism here, if, if, if you want to go there, witchcraft, all of that. Drugs are part of, of that kind of uh, ritual. Hatred. Hatred is having enemies. If you have an enemy, you are a hateful person. Period. You don't want to call yourself a hateful person. But if you allow yourself to stay angry at people, you are a hateful person. Contentions means to be quarrelsome or argumentative. I'm sure none of you have any of that in your family. Never was any of it in ours. Jealousies, that means to be, have rivalry. Any sibling rivalry out there? My son sent me a, a, a birthday present this year. And in the card he said, he said, I'm usually too lazy and too poor. And certainly for the last three years he's been going to college and I don't care whether I get a gift from him or not. He sends me a nice card, that's, that's enough. He sent me a nice gift this year. But on the outside of the card it says, from your favorite child. I called him up and I said, you're running a close second for favorite child. He said, second out of three? Well, I said, one of the other girls got me, a, got me an appointment for something even better, got me an appointment for a massage at Semi-Amu to go to the spot, Semi-Amu. So you're running a close second, buddy. And I said, the other one's running a distant third because she didn't get me nothing. Parents, you don't, you don't encourage rivalry, do you? I've never said he's a favorite child. I've never said any of them are my favorite child. Children, you don't live in jealousy, do you? Wanting to be the favorite child? Outbursts of wrath. What's an outburst of wrath? It's just what it is. Hot, explosive, expressed anger. If you're one of those people who says, well, I just get it out and it's over, as though that's a virtue, I got news for you. God says it's not a virtue, it's a vice, it's a sin. Selfish ambitions. Do we need to define that? <laughs> Let's see, here's what it means to be self-centered. If you are self-centered in your family, that's a sin, not a righteousness. Dissensions. It literally means to stand apart, as in, you know, I, I'm, I'm not part of this, and you know, I have my own little group or my own little thing. Heresies is similar. It means, the word heresy that we, we use to refer to wrong doctrine, the literal meaning is a self-willed opinion. In other words, in doctrine, we would say the whole church believes this from God's word, and I'm standing over here believing this singular truth, my own interpretation. That's what a heresy is. Well, that same kind of thing can be applied to other aspects of life. You know, I don't get along with the family. I'm living separately myself. Envy. Envy is hatred towards the success of others. Are you happy when your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, your aunt, uncle, whoever, are you happy when they succeed? Do you really rejoice with those who rejoice? God says if you don't, it's a sin. Murders. I'm thankful that none of you have murdered each other. But I'm here to tell you, I know of a couple of situations where the misuse of sexuality led to murder and I tended to one of them in Tukwila. 
And, and I just want to say that when you get up in the morning and go to sin, you don't know where you're going to end up with that night. What is a murder? Murder is hatred, jealousy, and wrath left unchecked. Nobody gets up and decides to murder somebody without first hating them or being jealous of them or deciding to express their wrath in a moment of time. That's what murder is. Drunkenness. Drunkenness, we know what drunkenness is. Drunkenness is a sin. It is not something you are born with a propensity to in your gray matter. It is a sinful choice of life. Great news is God can deliver you from it. Drug addiction obviously comes under this as well. It's the same thing. There are all kinds of reasons that people get into those patterns of life, but God says it is a result of some sinful things. And then revelries. And the word revelry... Probably the best interpretation would be extreme drunkenness or out-of-control drunkenness or out-of-control. All these things are so bad that we've already mentioned, but can you imagine those things just out of control? And then he adds this. This is really uncharacteristic for God when he writes the Bible. He goes, and the like. You know, when our kids were younger... (laughs) We had to be very specific about things. Now, don't do this or do that. You know, mom and dad are going out for a while. Don't do this, do that. I wish I'd have got a hold of this verse because I'd have read it. And then I would have given them the list of rules and I would have said, and the like. Because, <laughs> you know, when you, when you come back, they say, well, you didn't say I couldn't do this. You said this, but, you know. This is what God says in your spiritual life. He has that big list of sins and he says, and the like. Especially if you are a Christian, you know in your heart when you've done and the like. Even if it doesn't fit neatly into one of the boxes above. These are the characteristics of a fleshly life. Now, I I am very happy to say that I have never seen a family that demonstrates all of those sinful behaviors. (laughs) And I don't believe that Maybe there aren't any families that demonstrate all those behaviors. I don't know. But here is the thing you need to understand. Those behaviors are sinful. I had a man come into my office once in Seattle. He made an appointment. He got my name off of the NANC website. You know, I was a counselor. He comes in and he says, I got a problem. I said, okay. He said, I'm in love with two women. And I'm a prophet, you know, I read right between the lines, and I said, and you're married to one of them, aren't you? Yeah. And as we talked, this man who knew the Lord was trying to find a way that it could be okay to keep on loving both of the women. And we came to a point where he said, you mean, so there's just, there's just no way about it, I'm going to have to break up with my lover? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. (laughs) Friends, this is a great checklist for your life. If any of these things are present, they're sins, they're going to hurt your family. I mean, bottom line, there are all kinds of ways that we excuse this in our modern world. You know, we could could go to some of these and look at... uh, 
you know, being argumentative. I, I've heard some folks, even some Christian folks say, oh, you know, teenagers are just rebellious. It's just normal. It's just a phase they go through as though we're just supposed to put up with all that chatter and not do anything about it. And God says, no, that's a sin. There is a sinful way to live and there is a righteous way to live. And the thing that I most want to get across to you today, and I know it's very simplistic, but it's critically important, is if you live in any sinful way, it will harm your family, period. There is, the wages of sin is death. Not just eternal death, but a death quality of life now. Now, where do these things come from? These are called the, the works of the flesh or the things that our flesh does. Where do they come from? What's the source of the fleshly life? Ephesians 2.1 starts to tell us when it says, And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once, in other words, everybody before they're a Christian, conducted themselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. Now, I do not believe that the lusts of the flesh are the same as the works of the flesh. Here's what I mean. The works of the flesh, those sins that we looked at, are the result of living by the desires of the flesh. What are the desires of the flesh? What are the strong desires there? The word lust in the Bible means a strong desire. The word lust is not a word that talks about sex. It means any strong desire that is natural in the human existence. So what are the strong desires? Well, I just want to look at three of them that I think we can readily identify biblically. And the first one is this. Um, and by the way, these are desires, not needs. And that's where I differ with the psychologist. You have a desire for security. And that sentence would look like this. I don't want to worry about my existence. I want my existence to be without problem. I want to know where my next meal is always coming from. I want to know that the lights are always on at home. And so when I go for contract negotiations, I'm going to get my union to push for job security. They want guarantees about employment. Why is it? Because as human beings, we are driven by the desire for security. I don't want to ever have a problem. I want everything taken care of. Where is this verbalized for us in the scripture? I think Matthew 6, 31 and 32 does it the best. Therefore, do not worry about your life, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles seek. The word Gentile in the New Testament is often a synonym for an unbeliever. The Gentiles seek after food to eat, clothes to wear, and so on. The second uh, lust of the flesh that I would suggest today is a lust for significance, a desire for significance. I want to be something. I want people to take note of me. I don't believe tattoos are sinful. I want to say that. I, I'm not a big tattoo fan. You know, my daughter came home with a big tattoo on her back that said forgiven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hoping for forgiveness, you know, whatever. <laughs> 
But here's my thought. Why do you cover yourself with tattoos and then wear small clothing and then get mad at people who stare? I, I, maybe I need to talk to some of those folks, but I think they want to be noticed. Okay? That is a strong desire in our nature. We want to be noticed. When I joined the fire department in, 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 in Everson 20-something years ago, I, I go there the first night, I'm going to be a firefighter, I'm going to skeet water and drive fast. Ah, it's going to be great, you know? And we're going to have a class going to teach us how to be firefighters. It was a new class. The whole department had to go to it. You know the first question a guy asked after they made the, the spiel, this is what we're going to do, da 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 Questions, yeah. Are we going to get a certificate for this class? Certificate? Man, you get to skeet water and drive fast. What do you care about a certificate? <laughs> I don't know, you know. Significance. I want to be something. You know where this started? This started in the Garden of Eden. Satan came to Eve and he whispered in her ear. Do you know why this is so instructive? Because Eve was not a sinner when he whispered in her ear. So the drive that was in her was what I would call a natural human drive. I'm not saying it's a need. Again, it's a desire. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman, when the woman heard that, she says, yeah, I want to be like God. She saw the tree was good for food. That goes back to our first point. She looked at it and said, man, that's good stuff. That's going to make, that's going to do something for me. It was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and he ate. Eve wanted to be something. She didn't want to be nothing. The third drive that's within us is what I would call sensuality. And I would understand that to be this. I want to enjoy life. And, and now, you all know me, I like to enjoy life. But the concept of the drive for sensuality is allowing the constant drive for physical enjoyment. I mean, while I enjoy life, you know, there are, there are challenging things as well. But sensuality. Look at Ephesians 2.3. We all once conducted ourselves in the strong desire of our flesh. It is, it is this, uh, what does my flesh desire? Well, sexuality is a physical pleasure. Food is a physical pleasure. Alcohol is a physical pleasure. You go right down the list, there's a desire to live in pleasure. Uh, ease or comfort or not having to work. What is it that drives people to play the lottery? I'm going to get it big and I'm going to say, see you later, boss. And I'm just going to be living on easy street the rest of my life. Now, I think the thing that I want you to understand in these, in these desires is sensual pleasure is not a sin in and of itself. It is not sinful to have sex with your properly married spouse. It is not sinful to enjoy a great meal. My mom's going to take me out for birthday dinner today. It'll be the first time in all of my married life I haven't cooked dinner on Mother's Day. We're going to go out, and I'm so excited. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with having some security in life and having a little nest egg for the future. That's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with, with rising up. You do a good job at work, and pretty soon you're the lead, and then you're the supervisor, and... 
You know, I have a friend who went from being forklift driver to the manager of 150 people overnight because they perceived he was smart enough to do it and he's kept the job for 25 years. Anything wrong with that? No. You know what there is something wrong with? There's something wrong with letting those things drive you. What are we supposed to be driven by, class? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's supposed to drive you. And so when you come to sexuality, you say, I am driven by glory in God. I must say no to this expression of my desire. If you are driven to gain security, you might be tempted to marry the first person who comes along rather than making a godly choice. You see where this goes? If you are driven to gain significance, you might climb up the ladder of an organization or, on the, or at work on the backs of other people, not caring who you hurt or, or who you alienate or not caring about them for the Lord. If you are driven by sensuality, you will make excuses as to why your sexual activity outside of marriage is okay. If these desires drive your life, in the normal human way, you will end up with a life and a family that looks like the works of the flesh. The big point we're at today is you got to decide what's going to drive your life. Now, what does the spiritual family life look, look like? Look with me in the, just down the passage. We read it already. We're going to read it again. Verse 22 of Galatians 5. Here's what a spiritual family life looks like. The fruit of the Spirit, and the word fruit there means the result of the Spirit being active in your life. He's using the illustration of a tree. If you plant an apple tree, the tree naturally gives forth fruit, which is apples. That's the normal thing. And we're going to see in just a minute that the Holy Spirit has been planted into you. And the natural result should be love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Would those things make your family any better than it is today? Let me put it this way. Would more of those things make your family any better than it is today? That is a description of a godly family. I often use these verses when people come in to me and are struggling in their life and, and I perceive that they don't know the Lord. I will open this up and this is how I share the gospel. And I say, do you see that right there? That's what God wants to do in your life. God wants to make you loving. God wants to make you joyful. God wants to make you patient and peaceful. And, and right through that list... And then I tell them what I'm about to tell you. How do you get there? How does that work start in your life? What is the beginning of the Spirit's work? This is it. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments, what's the commandment? Believe in Jesus Christ. He who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God will give you the Holy Spirit. 
He will put him in your life. That is the entrance into your life. You don't have to come down here and kneel on on, on these steps and say, oh God, please give me the spirit. I don't have to hit you on the forehead and send you over backwards into the arms of Chuck who's going to hold you. (laughs) None of that. You need to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you do, the Holy Spirit will be given to you. He will be put into your life. It is all part of our salvation. Listen to another verse that says, this I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? When you hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ and you believe it, you hear it by faith, God gives you the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. If you're here today and your life is characterized more by the works of the flesh than it is by the fruit of the Spirit, the starting point is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I have a friend who's a counselor, and he had some folks come and see him one time, and uh, they had terrible strife in their family, and he, he perceived that they didn't know Christ as their Savior, and so he knew that the starting point's right here, and he shared Christ with them, and they accepted Christ, and their family life started to change right away, and a few weeks later, after they'd seen him a few times, they came in and said, you know what, we came in here for marriage counseling and all you did was talk about Jesus and man, our life is so much better. (laughs) Could it be that simple? I'm here to tell you, yes. Now, I'm not saying that Christian families don't have to work. If they didn't have to work and give effort, I wouldn't need to preach the other six sermons. (laughs) But this is the starting point. You will not conquer the desires of your flesh without Christ. You will not find peace and joy and reward in your family without Christ. It will not happen. It cannot happen. We are slaves of our desires. So the beginning of the Spirit's work in our life. And then what does the Spirit do? Or I could ask it this way. How does the Spirit produce that fruit? Okay? Because when he tells us about the fruit, in that passage, he's not saying, pursue it. He's saying, if the Spirit is active, this is what he will do. So what's the Spirit do? What's his work? The first work is the work of conviction. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. I believe this is a primary reference to those who don't know Christ as their Savior. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've never believed in him, and yet inside of you, something is saying, you know what, this is true. This is what you need. That is not my eloquence. That is the Holy Spirit's eloquence. And he is pushing you. And that's what he does. He pushes you in the right direction. He opens up your understanding, as we'll see in a minute. The work of conviction. Obviously, the the Holy Spirit also convicts Christians of sin. And if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that the moment you choose to do a wrong thing, immediately inside, you have the sense or you have the awareness or you have the knowledge of Scripture that God is saying, that's wrong. Conviction. Number two, the work of the Spirit is assurance. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you know why I can stand up here and say, I know for certain I'm going to heaven when I die? It is not because I get paid for it. It's because the Holy Spirit is in me. 
It's not because I'm a great guy or I'm smarter, better, more faith or you name it. It's because the Holy Spirit is in me, giving me assurance of my salvation. If you doubt your salvation, there's, there's two reasons. There's two possibilities. Number one, the Holy Spirit's not in you. He's not giving you the assurance. The other reason is we're going to see in a minute, you're not letting him work. The third work of the Holy Spirit is power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The power for the Christian life comes from the Holy Spirit. You, you may not even be aware of it. I often, I often tell this to people. I say, when you pick up God's word and you say, here's a truth of God, I'm going to do the truth of God, or I'm going to avoid the sin that he's told me about. When you pick that up and claim that by faith, the Holy Spirit is in you and with you and helping you. You're not on your own. The power of the Christian life comes from the Holy Spirit. Number four, illumination. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now I believe there's a primary reference here to the apostles themselves. When you ask this question, how did they how did they write the Gospels? I mean, it was 20, 30 years maybe after Jesus left the earth. How did they get that down right? That's it right there. How do I remember a Bible verse when I'm sitting talking to somebody about the Lord? Holy Spirit. How do I remember a Bible verse when I'm tempted to sin? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this. Listen to this other verse. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. God helps us to understand his truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3 really talks about this at length. The, the Corinthians were not understanding God's truth, and the reason was they were harboring sin in their lives and in their congregation. The last one of the works of the Spirit that I want to mention, and you, you could certainly find more than this in the Scripture, is guidance. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, I'm, I'm fully aware that Paul, as an apostle, did have a, a unique connection to God that I don't have. He had unique power from God. And so, you know, it's possible God even whispered in his ear, but I don't get that sense because if you read this text a little bit later, they tried to go east again. What this is, by the way, is, is the reason you're sitting here in, in a Christian church rather than having the people from Russia evangelize you, you're evangelizing them. This is right where the Apostle Paul was headed north. He was headed north up out of Israel, and he wanted to go east. And God said no. And so he went west. And Christianity spread all the way across Europe to America because the Apostle Paul was led by the Spirit to go west, not east. And two times he wanted to go east. He believed that was where he should go. In the world of his day, that was a more significant place. And two times the Holy Spirit said, no. Does the Holy Spirit guide us today? Yes, he does. Philippians chapter 4, he says, you commit all of your concerns to God in prayer, and the peace which passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Had the opportunity to make a significant change of life this week in terms of housing, and was considering a certain house deal and a project, something I've been thinking about for a long time, and looked it over real carefully and prayed about it and said, nope, walked away, and I'm perfectly at peace about that. Why is that? Is that because I'm something? No. 
It's because I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit guide me. So when it's over, it's over, and it's his business. Guidance, what a great thing. Now, the thing you've got to understand is, through all of these actions, through all of these works and more, the Holy Spirit produces that fruit. Love, joy, peace, all of these things. Certainly a significant part of the fruit production is the Holy Spirit doing these things in the midst of trials. We've got to constantly remind ourselves that if we've come into a hardship in life, God wants to grow us up, and he can if we will maintain the Spirit's work in our life. Here's the thing you've got to understand about the Holy Spirit, and the thing that I think is a great error amongst many evangelicals. You do not have to start his work. You do not have to call him in. You do not have to somehow fill yourself up with him. You need to cooperate with him. Listen to these verses that talk about how we maintain the Spirit's work. And I've chosen the word maintain on purpose because how does the Spirit come in? Through what? Through faith in Christ. Okay? And look what these verses say about him. Do not quench the Spirit. It doesn't say light the fire. It says don't throw water on the fire. That tells me he's automatically active until we stop him. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This instructs us on several levels. Did you ever stop to think that God has feelings and that when you sin, he feels sad? much like maybe a parent would feel when their child sins against them, or he feels anger, all of those things. The Holy Spirit starts out working and happy and engaged and loving, and you can grieve him. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine and wish a dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Obviously, the, 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 the concept here is one of control. Are you going to be controlled by alcohol or anything else? Or are you going to be controlled by the Spirit? What he's saying is, let yourself be fully controlled. Acts 7.51, in a sermon being preached there, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. You can resist the work of the Holy Spirit. When he comes along and says, that's wrong, you can say, La, 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 I can't hear you, la, la, la. That's what you do. Only it goes like this. You say, well, God, you don't quite understand. And you talk to yourself and you rationalize it out. And what you're doing is resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're not a believer here today, maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't care what that preacher says. I'm not going to follow God. He, blah, 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 blah. Okay, come on. You're resisting the work of God. You're not resisting me. I'm not the guy who runs heaven. You're resisting. So what does it say about how we maintain the work of the Spirit? Galatians 5.16 in our text today says, walk in the Spirit. You have a choice about how you're going to walk. God doesn't tell us to activate the Spirit. He does tell us to obey or cooperate with the Spirit. And how do you do that? You do it this way. If you live according to the flesh, those desires we talked about, 
you will die. But if by the Spirit of God you put to death the deeds of the body or the flesh, you will live. How do you walk in the Spirit? Well, let me just put it this way. What is the Holy Spirit going to teach you about sin? This is a 10-point question, class. What's it going to teach you about sin? Is it right or wrong? Okay, so if you're reading the Bible saying, I want to grow up as a Christian, the Holy Spirit will illuminate you. He will open your mind, and you'll go, oh, look at that. There's a sin I never knew about. Now, the question is, are you going to put to deed that work of the flesh, or are you going to resist the Spirit? What do you think the Spirit will cause you to think when you are tempted to sin? Do you think he's going to be having a coffee break in heaven? No, what's he going to do when that temptation, that same one that you struggle with so much, it's going to come up sometime today or tomorrow. What do you think he's going to do? What's the thought he's going to put in your head? Come on. It's wrong. He's going to be there. He's going to be doing his job. What's your job? Cooperate. Say, you're right. You're right. I'm walking away. What is the Spirit going to guide you to do when somebody in your family hurts your feelings? Is the Spirit going to come along and go, now you give him heck. Let's figure out how you can really get him back. You give him the cold shoulder, buddy. Is the Holy Spirit going to do that? No. When that person gives you that The Holy Spirit's going to come along and say, that wasn't right, but you need to forgive. And you're going to have to choose whether you cooperate with the Holy Spirit or whether you resist. What is the Spirit going to do in your heart when you hurt one of your family members? I think you know the answer to all these questions now, don't you? The Holy Spirit's there. He's doing his work, but are you cooperating with him? Are you choosing to walk in the Spirit's path, or are you saying, I need to be something, and that person disrespected me. I don't take that. I know somebody who quit their job and went to a lesser-paying job where they had to drive farther away because somebody else was disrespected at work. what a fool you're a fool if you don't follow God's path because the only family you're going to hurt is your own in the Proverbs it says the foolish woman tears down her her home with her own hands and of course the blindness of sin is you'll look around and say oh I didn't do this, this isn't my fault this is their fault it isn't it's your fault One of the chief reasons cited for divorce is irreconcilable differences. And it's based on a myth. And here's the myth. The myth is the key to success in marriage is to marry my soulmate. If I find the person with whom I am perfectly compatible, I'm going to have a great marriage. I just want to say to you today, 
I think God turns that around and he says, the key to marriage and the family is not to find the perfect person, but to be a perfect person. In a family, you've got a, you've got a husband, you've got a wife, you've got some in-laws, comes with the territory. Lord willing, you have some children. Then you get some children's spouses. I've got three of those now, some sub-in-laws, I guess we call them. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you get some grandchildren if the Lord blesses. And I just want to tell you that the key to your family working is what you're all working toward. And the question to ask today is, are you working toward Christ? It doesn't take a geometric genius to say, you know what? If all of those people are moving toward Christ, they are also getting closer to each other. Aren't they? Because they're coming like this. And that's what should be happening over the years of your marriage and over the years of your children growing up. I'd be the first one to tell you that our, our children were not perfect and we did not have, you know, let me just put it positively, we had some tough times with some of them. But we're having a great time now. And I really think, it, I just had to work at it for 25 years. Oh, I, you know, that's one of our problems, isn't it, folks? We don't want to work at it for 25 years. We don't want to work at it on ourselves. I'm not done yet. The jury is still out, brother. The grandkids are still coming. That's right. That's right. But the closest thing I have to a guarantee is this right here. And the closer we get to Christ, the closer we get to each other. I want to challenge you today to be honest in your evaluation of your family, if you're serious about letting God make over your life and your family, come to faith in Christ if you never have. If you're serious about letting God make over your life, get on the path of knowing the word and of saying yes to the Spirit day by day. If you need some help with that, I'm here to help you. Pastor Larry is here to help you. We've got other folks who would love to help you work on these things. We've got a whole bookstore full of things that can help you work on challenges that you face. Is it possible to have an enjoyable, joyful, peaceful, productive family? Yes, it's peaceful. It's possible. And I just want to encourage you toward that today. Father, thank you for saving my soul and my wife and our kids and their spouses and causing us to work toward Christ. I'm so thankful for that, Father. And I realize that, that that's a wonderful privilege. It's not something I have earned. I thank you for it. Father, there are families here who I know have made great progress in recent days, and they're working, and they're trying. I pray that you will bless them. I pray that you will give them fruit for their labor Father, if there are families here who haven't started to try yet, give them the courage and the hope to jump in and move forward in you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.